Hello everybody, my name is Ken Fallon and today's show is an interview and the presentation Steve Lee gave on accessibility at Hog Camp 11. That's correct, over one and a half years ago. I'm not even going to bother to attempt to apologise um, for the delay in getting this show out. Without further ado, I give you Steve Lee. Hello everybody, my name is Ken Fallon and welcome to the... Uh, I'll camp 11 again, I'll camp 11. I'm here with Steve Lee down in the basement. Steve, you're going to be giving a talk today. Yes, I am, yeah, straight after lunch, so I'm, I'm hoping everyone will be a bit doz- dozy. But, yeah, uh, hopefully the coffee will have kicked in. <laughs> yeah, maybe, yeah. Oh, yeah, I'm, I might be awake by then. So but, what's your yeah. talk about? It's going to be about open accessibility. So it's an area I've been interested in a long time. Um, um, I guess my main interest is the, the, um, the benefits of open development that they can, uh, they can bring to users, um, specifically for people with uh, disabilities and allowing to them to access technology in innovative ways which suit them. Um, but there's actually a much broader picture than that in that the, um, the, the making sure that technology is available for as wide a number of people as possible means that we can all personalise this stuff for the way we want, which is something someone was talking about, I noticed yesterday, you know, you know, they want the system. There was a discussion about Unity versus GNOME 3, yeah. and a typical one, but um, people, you know, people in different camps, but it boils down to people want to use the system in the way that they want, and accessibility, if you take it in its broadest um, um, meaning, definition, definition yeah, it allows you to do, to, to do that. Are you, you know, when people say accessibility, accessibility, it's such a broad range. You know, mm. what what sort of areas are you focusing in on, or is it just accessibility? In I, I'm going to give a, a, a brief overview of what accessibility means. Um, some of the options that are available in operating systems, particularly I'll be showing Ubuntu because um, the audience here will be happier with that, but I use it as well. Um, and then looking at some of what's called assistive technology, which is more um, technology which adapts the inf- inf- uh, interface in a more extreme way. Uh, the, the typical example is a screen reader where someone is completely blind they can move around with a keyboard and, and what's visually available on the screen which they can't see is turned to text so they can understand it. So, and, and I'll be showing some demos of some of the, the great open source stuff that's around. I know a, a lot of people listening to the Hacker Public Radio Network will know that we've had uh, some shows on accessibility in the past and Ubuntu has had some criticism about the move to Unity and how mm. accessibility was seen as a secondary issue. Um, do, you, do you hope to address that? In the- I, I, I wasn't intended to. I was probably going to gloss over that because it was only limited time. But yes, you're quite right. If you look at the history of um, when I first got involved in open accessibility, there were two communities heavily involved with it, GNOME, who were really doing a lot of work to make sure that the GNOME desktop was fully accessible, and Mozilla, who were making sure that the browser, because uh, when you think about web, there's a whole stack, and I'll be covering that, but everything needs to be accessible, all of the bits. So they all need to work together. Um, now, uh, so, so GNOME 2 had a lot of effort into, uh, put into it. Um, um, and when Unity came out, there's a bit of, some of the stuff got moved around, the accessibility stuff got dropped out. Um, so, so I think it will come back in. I hope it will. The, um, the accessibility team in GNOME have changed. Um, KDE was the other alternative. They were starting to pick up on some of the technology. Now, um, some of the mobile uh, platforms are looking at it as well. So I, I'm hoping it w- will improve. But, um, yeah, I'll leave it at that. Yeah, I know. I definitely see it as a, as a winning point, as a sales point for uh, free and open desktop. If we can get that together, then mm. by default, it's, it's a requirement for the other operating systems. So if we clean up our house by, uh, by extension, the other houses are going to have to clean up as well. So it's only a good thing. So um, have you had a chance to see any of the other shit talks here? 
Uh, yes, what, what did I say? I, I, I was very interested in um, Karen's one, who is actually now the CEO of GNOME, which I didn't realise. I'm, I'm a bit out of touch at the moment. I, I, knew, I, I knew Stormy quite well. Um, um, and that was really interesting because it is a bit, um, you were saying earlier, it's nice to have something a bit left field. And her talk, completely left field, she's talking about um, very open, saying I've got, a, I've got a pacemaker and I want to know what software is running on it. Can it can, talk to her consultant, can you tell me? Ooh, I don't know, went to manufacturer, oh, couldn't tell you that. And, yeah. and, and that's worrying. And that, that, that brought in a lot of issues about your right to know uh, and, and a very personal note as well. And it's slightly accessibility, I think, as well, using technology to improve lives. So that really interested me. Okay, I'm not going to go delve too far into your talk no, because okay. it'll be on. Uh, it'll probably be on this network anyway. But Steve, thanks very much, and okay. hope you have a good talk today. Brilliant, thank thanks, you. Good. No, cheers. It's <laughs> good. And now on the main stage, we have uh, Steve Lee from Oak Directive, who's worked at Mozilla and done some stuff with GNOME. Have you as well? Oh, yeah, uh, the community. Yeah, um, and he's going to be talking about uh, accessibility in open source. Thank you. Hi, everyone. It's good to see so many of you here. Right. Yeah, so I'm with Open Directive. We're a new company. We just uh, set up myself and Ross Gardner, who is a Watch, the uh, higher education advisory service of open source. Um, my specific interest is open accessibility and has been for, for some years now. Um, just, um, just do a straw poll. I mean, what, what, what a, does anyone want to put their hand up and say what, what they think accessibility means? <laughs> oh, I'm sure he's on one. Maybe you guys asked me your lunch. Being able to access. Yeah, okay. That's, that's a good, good one. Yeah, people, people generally think of it in terms of um, giving access to people with, with dis disabilities. And that's an important issue. There's legal and moral reasons that you shouldn't exclude people. I'm going to take a slightly broader view than that, though that's a very important part of it. Um, what I'm going to say is accessibility really is making sure that technology is useful by more people in more situations. In other words, if you develop some code, are, are, are any of you developers here? Any hands? There's a few. And the rest of you, I guess, are sort of users type types, is that right? Okay. Um, so if you develop some software, you obviously want as many people to use it. And certainly in open source, you want as many people to be users because the users then can become contributors. Um, so the important point is, is, when you're designing some technology or some software, as we think about that, um, is to put the users first. Think about the users, not the technology. And what that actually means is, you may hear terms like universal design, inclusive design, and user-centered design. Um, that means you're thinking about what the user is going to do, how they're going to interact with your software, rather than the bling, which is more fun usually technically. Um, and as I said, normally accessibility is considered specifically for people with disabilities. Now, the reason I put disabilities in brackets is the disabilities are really a result of how people react to them, by how you design a software which excludes somebody. That makes them disabled, not the fact that they may not be able to see very well or hear very well. The other issue is that most of us are aging. Well, sorry, there are age-related issues. I, I, I'm aging, I don't know about the rest of you. And certainly I'm beginning to find now my eyesight's not as good as it was. And, and we're, we're, demographically, we live longer. There's also, at the other extreme, because there's young, younger children who are using technology as well, and the way they interact with it is different. Um, and there's also, a lot of people don't realize, situational ex uh, disability. That's becoming more known now because of uh, mobile technology. But, um, for example, you might be in a noisy environment, or you might be in a very bright, sunlit environment. So that, that effectively causes the way that you interact with something. You need to change the way that you react to interact with something. In general, there are 
four areas of access that you need to think about when thinking about how people interact with technology. Uh, there's hearing. Now, the most computer technology is visually oriented, so if you have a hearing impairment, that is not such a big issue. Um, if you're sight impaired, the same reason means you have a big problem. Um, and then the, the other side of that is how you perceive the information that, the, say, technology is giving you. The other way is how you interact with it. And um, some people will have, say, physical disabilities. As you get older, there's arthritis, but there are people who have very limited uh, movement capabilities. And finally, there's cognitive, which is basically how you process information. If you find a lot, a lot of people say learning difficulties are finding quite hard. If there's lots of stuff going on the screen at once, if there's stuff flashing around, that, that just causes an overload. And interestingly, if you look at the list there, um, it's pretty much in the same in order of how well people are supported with my technology. So people, as people with hearing difficulties that have a huge problem, but people with cognitive difficulties often have, are underserved, if you like, by the, the work that's going on. The other issue about the people is the context you're in, and one of those contexts is the actual person, you yourself. <laughs> um, how you interact with the software uh, is important. And, and interestingly, um, some people are looking at the patterns of how people use map, the mice, a mouse, to identify who they are, so they can do context IP, people away, person, personalised advertising. But, um, so the user is the context itself, but there's also the environment you're in, if you're in a car, you, can, you can't interact in the same ways that you would do when you're sitting at your desktop. Um, and there's the actual device itself, there's a little tiny screen, a, a little phone, um, not a smartphone, so that's quite different to the big desktop environment. So because mobile is really bringing a lot of this stuff to focus, whereas um, accessibility a few years ago, it was purely we think about people with disabilities, it's now becoming um, so some of the issues that you need to think about when designing something to be accessible to as many people as possible are also coming up with mobile design. For example, the form factors vary. If the text is really small, it's hard to read. If the targets for you to touch are tiny, it's really hard for you to do it. So you've got fat fingers like mine. Um, also, as, as I keep saying, you, you use it in different environments and, and you move around with your mobile device into a noisy pub, into bright sunlight. And also new ways of interacting are coming out. So, so now people are quite familiar with touchscreen, uh, whereas before I worked on a project where a touchscreen monitor was used for people actually with dementia to give a nice simple big button touchscreen interface. But now we're all getting used to that and there's a lot of design knowledge coming um, into how to design interaction patterns that use touch. So I'm going to just show you some examples now of some of the features that desktops have. Um, I'm running Ubuntu here, um, but all of the operating systems have these. And the simplest features are those little tweaks that you can make. So with any luck, So we look, I've turned on this icon up here. You don't get this on by default, but there's a, some little options that are in here. Like, for example, an obvious one is make the text larger and immediately, supposedly, the text has got bigger. Um, and another one, um, press your keyboard shortcuts one at a time. Now, now, to bring up the system menu on here, um, I'll press the old and the space together, and up comes the system window manager menu. Talking to Windows terminology, aren't I? Um, but if I press that one, I can, and if you've got, you can't press two, more than one key at once, I can now press the alt, followed by the space, and it happens. So these little adaptations, a lot of them in, in all operating systems, um, and you might not even think of them as actually as an accessibility option. For example, 
If I go into the system settings and we look at, oh, it's funny because the screen's full, isn't it? There we go. So we go into the mouse settings. The very first one is left-handed, right-handed. So is that an accessibility option? Well, you could say it. How did you turn the icon on? The indicator. Um, <laughs> I think. To be sure, it's. Now, there's a whole bunch of stuff in there which isn't on by default. I can't get used to these new scroll bars. Does anyone actually use them? <laughs> I thought I'd turn on the option to make them stay. So that, this is an accessibility issue, obviously. <laughs> it was, I think it's in this one. Um, I think it's that one. That actually made was a whole chunk of technology underneath, which I'm going to cover in a minute. But I think that, ooh, that's on as well. Um, I'll find out if not. But yes, it's being left-handed, a disability. Well, some people might say it is. My wife would be annoyed if I told her she was. But, but the point is, it is, it's an adjustment made if you want to use a mouse in your left hand. You want the buttons to swap around. Okay, so that's some very basic, and themes. Most people are aware of themes. There are high contrast themes, which have a big, big difference between the text and the background for people who, who have difficulty seeing. So that there, oh, I can get rid of that. Hello, I'm now stuck here. <laughs> uh, it's not fitting on the screen, is it? Oh, I did press it, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even realise I clicked on it. <laughs> Use that option there, yeah. <laughs> right, let's just turn it off before I get even more confused. <laughs> Oops, right. So there we go, that's some really basic options. So that's just and another thing you notice I'm using the keyboard. A lot of people like to use the keyboard, but um, if, if something's been designed just for mouse access, then that, that's a problem. Right, I've got the wrong one up there, I think. Is it closed yet? Oh, no, there it is. Right. Okay. So, so, so what, there's another thing here, personalization. And, and, and in, I noticed that in the um, panel section that we had before, there was a bit of a debate about, oh, I want Unity, I, I, no, I want Gnome 2 or Gnome 3. People want their own options, and they were, you, you all, I guess, set up your desktop. I mean, some people don't, they just use the vanilla as it's come, but we all tend to set up things that work best for us. So there's this concept of personalization, and all these things I've just shown you are, are really, you could say they're personalization. It's just that, well, than this, oh, I prefer pink to green. It's, well, I can't actually use a computer, the text is too small, because I can't read anything, or I'm left-handed, I'm going mad using the, right, the buttons around the wrong way. Um, so, What's important is the user interface is configurable. And what's even more important is you want it to be configurable on all of the devices that you use. And what would be even better, and I'll show you something that's hoping to do this eventually, is that your settings would follow you around from your iPad to your Ubuntu desktop to your television, that they would move around with you. Right, now, assistive technology. Um, have, any, have any of you heard that term before? Yeah, okay. Well, in actual fact, I mean, every, every, a weird is assistive technology. It's technology that lets you do something. Um, in medical terms, it covers everything from rab rails to help you get into the bath to highly complicated electronic technology. What I'm talking about here is whereas the stuff I just show you is sort of just tweaking the user interface, some, some people uh, in some situations, you want something more complicated. And that actually adapts the user interface into a different way of working. Um, so a very common case, which people are now becoming aware of, is text-to-speech. Um, 
where the speech is, is spoken out for you, and voice recognition, that's becoming almost mainstream now. Um, most uh, systems have some sort of, uh, mobiles do certainly, sort of Google um, Maps, I can speak the destination, and I can lot of stuff on Android. Um, for, for blind people, it's quite an extreme case because they can't see anything. There's people who are completely blind, have no vision. Um, there's something called a screen reader, which allows them to navigate around the contents of, of the screen and it converts it into speech and reading to them. That's an assistive technology. For people with really severe physical disabilities, um, there's on screen keyboards. Now, you're all probably used to on screen keyboards now for having a smartphone or a touch interface, but before, traditionally, um, so traditionally, they've been used before uh, for people with physical disabilities. Um, particularly those who are very limited in, in their motion, and all they can actually do is just twitch a bit. So I'm going to switch here, and you might be able to do that. Stephen Hawkins is a good example. Now he's got a switch, stop right away, twitching his cheek. Um, so you need something that converts that single action into the ability to type. And a long screen keyboard would do that, and I'll show you an example in a minute about how that works. It's very tedious and slow. Um, so let's show you some examples of that now. So the first one, and probably the one that, that because the, the, the blind community, uh, for a long time, there's a lot of them, and they're very vocal, and they lobby hard, and so they get a lot of attention. And so a lot of the initial accessibility work was for screen readers, um, for people who are actually blind. And the, one of the interesting things about that is it's one of the, the harder problems. It exercises a lot of the requirements that we had. Now, um, GNOME, um, the GNOME project, uh, have an accessibility group and they, they created the Orbit screen reader. And I'll show you that. Um, I think it is built in, I think. I don't think I had to get this out of the repositories. When Orca screen reader slash magnifier frame, preferences button. Okay, so a blind person would typically navigate around the screen using a keyboard, so I'll. Twit button. Oops, wrong one. Tab. Tab. About button. Exactly. There you go. So, so if you notice, it's telling me what key I pressed, if I press tab again, and then what, what it's landed on. It's not necessarily that clear. But can you see the focus rectangle around bounce at the moment? So that's the, the object that has focus. Tab. Help button. Okay. So tab. Let's go back to preferences. Preferences for return. Starting on culture preferences. Tab. Speech page. Right. And then you've tab, 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 tab. So person, English and combo box. Lancashire and English unders English and English us and English underscore double with a window. Speech page the orca preferences. Speech page person. English underscore default combo box. It starts to get confusing because as you move around it's still like saying stuff is slow and it serializes everything, whereas you look at everything in random access, the text gets serialized, so it you do find that blind users use it incredibly fast and they like synthetic voices because you can go really fast. But I'm going to just cheat now and just uh, apply that. Apply button. Orca over sitting reloaded. Orca preferences. No slight difference, there's slight brummy accent there. <laughs> the other thing that Orca has ah, is a magnifier. Ah, okay, button. No, I can't see where it is. Lift sheet up. Stage page. Right, now I can move. So it's on the top now. So you get, it's hard enough to get into the top. Wait, 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 Magnifier page. Maybe we should have that voice. Space. Right. Now, as I tap around, it's moving the magnifying version around. So, someone with very low vision, this is quite useful. Now, I've got to try and get that. So, there you go. But a lot of people need to use this technology in order to interact with computers. Right, I'm actually going to... Orca, screen, read, complete Orca. Let's get to this. Now, have any of you seen Dasher? Right, okay. Now, Dasher's a good... It, it's, 
One of the inter reasons I'm interested in open uh, accessibility is the chances of innovation. That uh, Dash has been around a long time. It's an alternative way of entering text. Um, and you actually just need two gestures, uh, really, uh, up and down. And the idea is you steer your way through some letters to try some text. So we'll show you. If you haven't seen it, you'll, you'll probably be freaked out by this. But um, let's just bring it up. Okay, so can you see there's a bunch of letters down the left? And, and the, the, that will change as I move through it. And as I move through a particular letter, it'll appear in the, the text field at the top. So I'm going to do this very slowly. And, uh, so I click to start. I'll move slowly, so I'll go to H. I'll move left and right, just to change the speed. And we notice it's got prediction, so it's guessing. I've got a really easy path here. And because of the word prediction, otherwise it, oops. Something you always have to say. There you go. That's weird, isn't it? But the point is, you can actually steer. Um, I saw someone make a game out of this, um, where they had a, a, a switch that went round you. If you breathed in, that was up, if you like. If you breathed out, it was down. So you can actually type text just by <laughs> controlling your ribcage. So. But this is a, a, a program. There's lots of versions. There's another version that you can control with just your eyes. So that's an open source project. It's always been an open source project. There's no proprietary equivalent of that. Um, there you go. Let's go out to that one. Another one, which is good fun, Eviacan. Um, for people with physical disabilities who, who can't use a mouse or keyboard, this is very useful. I don't know if this will easily work. So this is a head tracker um, that picks up the camera. What I'm going to do, fix that. Right, so I'm going to move my head left to right a couple of times. Oh, not, it's too dark for it or something. It's not. That's controversial, I think, so. Hey? Remember the, um, the, the controversy over the, is it the HP webcam that couldn't detect uh, non-white people? Oh, right, okay. Is that the same problem? I'm not going to work. It's just the lighting conditions. Right, it's, it's really not going to work now because it hasn't... Um... Well, this one wasn't an input, so I had to um, build this one. Right? So it's not, it's not going to work really well. You can see the point is now moving around. And then if I want to run something like the help. Hold on. I'm, I'm, ah, okay. There's calibration. Right. You notice I didn't click, I just dwelt. There's something called dwell click, which is one of the options I showed at the beginning as well, actually. If you can't click, if you, if you pause, then it does a click for you automatically. So that pulls up the help. But um, I'm going to get out of here. There's a load of options at the top. You can dwell on those buttons and change the. Does it do a left kick? Does it do a right kick? It's fighting it too. Yeah. That's been easier. Let's go to the bigger button. Oh, let's go. Hold my thought. Oh, yeah, that might be a good idea. There we go. <laughs> Let me try and do this live. It has got uh, it has got lots of nice options. Oh, no, it's still there. <laughs> okay. A one more clock. This is quite an old creaky you know, program, the going on screen keyboard. There's a version on board that comes with this. But the, the point of this one is again it's it's for people who just use these switch devices. And it has a mode called scanning. And the idea is is that 
things automatically selected if there's various ways this can be done. And when it's at the right point, you activate the switch. So now I'm not actually going to use it with a switch. I've got it set up to use the left and right snaps button. So the left button will start the scanning, and the right button will. Oh, can you see that? So it's right down below. That's, um, can everyone see that? Okay. You probably can't quite see what's going on. Is it, is it good? So if I press the left button, so it started scanning a whole row at a time. This is one way. Um, and then the red blue I grab. And what it's done, and it might not actually be clear, but it's had a look around and seen what's there. It's created a menu item for, for Dasher, for Viacam. He's looked at the desktop basically and picked up the various options. So if I start scanning again, Should be a safe one to run to edit. Uh, left, now scans left to right. And I go for it. And start scanning again. Stop. Click open. And work. Oh, there you are. And G edits come up. So if you like, this, this grid is acting as a, uh, an overlay between the user interface and the switch. And it means that somebody who's got very limited gestures can interact with the computer. But boy, is it slow and, and you know, uh, hard work. So, how am I doing my time, the time, by the way? I've got a bit lost. You've got 20 pass. Right, OK, good. I'm going to start the time ending. Oops. Take a second. the desktop, but I just want to show you something quickly for videos, because access to media as well is, is an issue. Um, now I'm going to show you a video, I'm just going to show you a quick clip and stop it. We all use technology every day. A person at a library computer, a person using a mobile phone, a person buying a train ticket. And we're using it to do... Right, okay, Did you... hopefully you saw that. Did you notice anything about it? Yeah, so there's a couple of things going on there. Um, well, play it again. We all use technology every day. A person at a library computer. Describe a person it. using a mobile phone. A person buying a train ticket. And we're using it to do more. Th okay, so if I play it again and turn off the sound, which would be the case if you're deaf or if you're in a, in a noisy environment, that's the sound turned off. Hopefully, you can still make some sense of what's going on. Right. 
longer. Okay. Or, turn the sound back on. Every day. A person at a library computer. A person using a mobile. We all use technology every day. A person at a library computer. A person using a mobile phone. A person buying a train ticket. So the point is, when you couldn't see it, there was something going on describing to you. There was two technologies there. Um, closed captions were the text at the bottom, which is designed for people who are deaf. Um, the, the subtitles of closed captions are the same here. In America, they actually are slightly different. And there's audio description, which is for someone who's blind, when you couldn't see it, or, or when you're in a very bright sunlight, which is telling you what was going on on the screen. And there's actually a very interesting Mozilla Open project called Universal Subtitles which is sort of crowdsourced. The idea is you, you go to a YouTube video and you add the, the, these accessibility features to them. Right, moving on to open accessibility now then. So, so that's giving you a flavour of accessibility then and the options that there are. Now, as I said, what interests me is open accessibility and why I'm interested in that is, is because of what open development brings, potentially brings, to users of assistive technology. Um, we were talking about freedom and equity and cost before oh, people spoke about it yesterday, and that's all a big part of it. But something that really interests me, I think, is the possibility of users being involved in getting the innovations that they want. With open development, you can get users. Now, there's obviously, traditionally, there's a whole debate, isn't there, around whether it's just suitable for non-technical people to be involved, but um, that certainly can happen. The other thing is speed and cost of development. There's a, an awful number of what are called communication devices. I showed you that on-screen keyboard. Uh, there's devices which are basically an over-electronics with an on-screen keyboard and you can press buttons and it talks to you um, or helps you communicate with someone else. There's loads of those, hundreds of them. They've all developed them from scratch. But if there was a common shared library that people used, then that development would happen quickly and an innovation further up could happen. There's also a need for infrastructure, infrastructure and standards to allow um, uh, this universal access to appear everywhere. Um, and finally, as, as um, was mentioned in the introduction, we involved with GNOME and Mozilla, and what interests me is both of those communities are acting as a hub for accessibility activity. Um, GNOME on the desktop introduced a lot of the technology which other people are interested in, and Mozilla have been doing it for the web as well, and the two obviously need to go together. Um, now, I'm going to get techie now, I'm afraid, so those who aren't that technical, <laughs> you might want to nod off for a second, but there's something very important called the um, accessibility APIs. Now, an API is just a mechanism whereby two bits of software can talk to each other in a known way, with a contract, if you like. Um, the accessibility APIs are a way that some external software can look at the user interface and um, it does a number of things. It allows it to explore the interface and see what buttons and menus and things are around, what state it's in, what the user's doing at the moment, has the user pressed a button, get a notification of it, and, and also to do the reverse, to actually control the user interface. Um, this is vital for something like a screen reader, because if you, if you, if you may not have noticed it, but when I was tabbing around, when I moved to different buttons, the screen reader was getting told that one, the focus had moved to another button and also could go and look at the buttons to see what they were, find out what text to speak to the user. So this is a critical component for, for assistive technology. It's also, it happens to be absolutely brilliant for testing. Testing user interfaces is something that's really difficult to do. Um, because they're very fragile, they change very often, it is part of the problem. Um, but we, you can do regression testing to make sure that you know, a button hasn't been removed or a menu item hasn't been removed. You can create some automated tests. And there's a couple of projects, Linux desktop, 
testing project and Dogtail, which are quite well known ones. Both of them use the assistive technology APIs to actually test the programs. Um, in terms of open APIs, accessibility APIs, the, um, the GNOME Linux one, ATSPIs, is, was historically was probably one of the better ones. It had the richest features that allowed assistive technologies to find out the most. Um, and then it was ported. It was ported to to Windows um, to give the same sort of features. Because at the time, there was the thing on Windows called MSSA was very, very primitive. It wouldn't let you do much at all. Um, Windows has since brought out something called UI automation. Interestingly, this is an open standard, not accessible to spell the right way, and is actually managed by the Linux Foundation. So it's quite interesting that it's a Windows standard <laughs> managed by the Linux Foundation. But, um, and also on Android there is one, but it's very, very limited at the moment. Just to give you a little diagram then of, of the sort of stack of technology, there's a platform at the bottom, you operate, and then the operating system. And to, to get to the user, the user will either interact through some accessibility options provided by the uh, desktop services, or if they use an assistive technology, it has to go for this API layer. Now, as, a, as um, one of the important parts of this is the UI toolkits, um, which is built-in technology provided by the, in, in GNOME terms, I don't know if any GNOME developers, it's, it's um, GTK. And that provides services for, for um, application developers to put the, the various widgets and controls in, and, and also provides accessibility. Um, so I'm just going to quickly show you what it looks like. Um, get rid of that. So there's a little program called Accessizer, which allows you to explore the user interface as seen through this API. And it's a slightly different view. I'll get down here. So what I'm going to do? Let's close it off. Just so we've got something to look at, I'm going to run gedit because it's a nice, simple program. Um, and you notice it's got, it's got some menus. As you know, there's file, and in file, there's open. So now, if I, oops. Excuse me. I had this all sorted out in a one dinner. Now everyone has to size it. Basically, it just displays everything, so it's just a hierarchy. Now, if we look here on the left, it's showing you all, all the applications it knows about. So down here, there's gedit. And I can do various things like explore what's in the interface. So I'm going to look, let's say I want to look at the application interface. No, no, sorry, I'm the wrong place. I want to actually look at the interface. Now, this gedit object, or the application, um, Exposes, no, 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 let's go down a bit. Exposes various things that you can do. Oh, sorry about this, it's shrunk so much. Okay, okay. Now I can, I can drill down. So gedit has in it um, an object which isn't of any interest. Um, but the one I want to get to show you is there's the file menu, okay, and there's the file submenu. And you can see before it's flashing up red just to indicate where you are. But what, what I wanted to show you is that, so this allows a developer to look around the application and, and explore it. So it's really a techie tool. 
the one, one thing we can do is a bit of fun. If you look in the file menu, for those not visible on the screen at the moment, I can still explore it. And there's an item there called new. Now, the new thing has an action on it called click. And if I perform it, and what's going to happen now is this program here is remote controlling gedit, and we'll bring up the menu. He says, okay. <laughs> sorry, sorry. It was, was it? Oh, I'm doing new, so it's supposed to be opening. Yes, you're quite right, thank you. Open that was. <laughs> there you go, so it's brought out the open menu. Thanks. So that's a geeky tool, I just wanted to show you that. Right. Um, finally, then. Web. Now, there's a lot of activity with web accessibility, which is good. Um, there's a lot of noise about it at the moment, and I haven't touched on that, that's quite deliberately, but, but we need to just cover it a little bit. The, the, one of the important points is that W3C's activities and standards have always been accessible, have always been inclusive. Um, think of it at the basic, originally it was up to you, the user agent to decide how to render the information in the best way for the user. But um, because the browsers need to understand, uh, in, to in, implement those standards properly, and also web developers obviously need to use the standards in sensible ways. Um, but the web browser has quite a hard job, which is why Mozilla's work has been important, in that they've got to not only implement the web standards, but also the platform standards like the APIs. But um, one thing that looks very interesting at the moment is web apps or web widgets. The, even Windows 8 is, looks like it's going to be webby. So it looks like these are the technologies to look at, and I'm an open director, we're quite interested in them. Um, one of the advantages of them is they deliver a, a widget you can run on a mobile phone, you can run it on a desktop in, in a container. So, and they're a chunk of user interface. So they're good in terms that they're a reusable component, um, and they can encapsulate good practice. So if someone creates a really good, accessible, usable, widget for logging, say, well, that's a very simple solution, then that can be reused by developers. Um, and there's a project we're involved with called Raven Contact. Just, just to show you complexity, if you need to do all that kind of inserted the web layer into this stack between the user and, and the platform, and suddenly um, you've got these different APIs. You've got, you, again, you've got user interface toolkits, which are useful, and I'll come back to them in a second. Um, and they've also got platform APIs which are coming off now, becoming available in the mobile space so that you can access the camera or the, the geolocation. Um, and the advantage of the widgets is that they can encapsulate all, all of this uh, technology and best practice. If you are a developer, just a few hints. Um, put the users at the centre of your design, that, that's quite important, and a testing. Make sure you test with a wide range of users, including people with disabilities. Um, and don't make assumptions about the user interface. It's so easy to assume that uh, when you're writing, they say, it's a web page, it's simpler, that you just have an on-click handler. But uh, if someone's tapping with a keyboard, it's not going to work. So it's very easy to make assumptions like that. Um, use the best practice, um, and particularly in the mobile space now, progressive enhancement, responsive design becoming the buzzwords, but the, they actually bring in accessibility best practice as well. And use toolkits. And the point is, if you roll your own widgets, whether it's on the desktop or in the web, then you've got to do with accessibility work. If you use a stock widget, provided by GTK or provided by jQuery Mobile or Dojo or something, um, then that 
hopefully, <laughs> has had all that work done on it, and it will work. Um, and also ask the community, because they usually are very friendly. Um, just to let you know, then, because I'm pretty much finished now, um, we've got a, an event coming up at the end of, at the beginning of September. There's a, I'm very pleased we've got three accessibility talks in that. We've got Marco Z, who's the, who is the um, Mozilla accessibility guy. He's coming along to talk to us about working in a larger ecosystem, how that works. Uh, and Neil Williams and Toby Churchill, who make devices for, for, for blind people, little, little communications devices. And Julian Harty, who's for eBay, is working on mobile stuff. One of the things he did was create a little daisy reader for Android, which is great. And we decided we'd, we'd get together. And this little device here is an Arduino, where someone was asking what a shield is. Shield is the built board on top. So it's a standard Arduino, and it's got a, a, um, a Bluetooth board on top. The point is, you can plug in a switch like this. And when you click the switch, it talks over Bluetooth to an, an Android phone. And everyone wants to see, I'll show you this. Um, and the Android phone has got a special on-stream keyboard, which um, you saw that scanning, it will do that, and in response to you pressing the switch, just as I was pressing the switches here. So that allows somebody who's physically disabled, or say in a wheelchair, to actually control Android applications without using the touch screen. And, and, and I think, and then Julian's still going to be talking about that. Um, that video that I showed you, and um, I think at that time I'll just finish off with that. There's a now we're becoming mobile and the web is becoming everywhere. There's this need to make sure that accessibility isn't, isn't everything, otherwise it would just be one or two things. Um, and this project, GPII, the Global Public Inclusive Infrastructure, is built on open source and the idea is to build an infrastructure which allows this personalization information, if you want to call it that, to be carried around from device to device. Uh, we all use technology every day. A person at a library computer a person using a mobile phone, a person buying a train ticket. And we're using it to do more things all the time. Library card catalog becomes a computer. Some of the things we used to do face-to-face, -face, we now do with automated systems. Ticket booth becomes a ticket machine. For most of us, those systems are okay most of the time. And when there are problems, we can find a way to get along. Claire on ticket machine screen, hand shields the screen so it can be read. But those of us with disabilities often run into situations where the technology doesn't work well enough to meet our abilities. Person with low vision sees a blurry ticket machine screen. In some cases, we can use assistive technology to bridge the gap. Assistive technology, or AT, can provide text for speech. Video chat with captions. Turn text into speech. The weather today will be mostly sunny. Or make words on a screen easier to read. Computer login screen in high contrast. Whatever the user needs to accomplish a task. Unfortunately, we don't all have the assistive technology we need, and we can't always take it with us to use anywhere we want. Imagine if you could pick up any device, anywhere, and it would automatically adapt to you. Person picks up device and it changes size. Imagine. Someone who is usually confused by technology. Now every computer looks like their personal device. Simple, with just the controls and features they need. Complicated computer screen changes to a simple version. Imagine a student who has to use computers in different labs and classrooms. If all of them worked exactly as needed. Student in two classrooms. Each computer becomes accessible as she needs it. There is a way to offer accessibility solutions to more people in more situations. 
We call it the Global Public Inclusive Infrastructure, or GPII. The GPII will use the cloud, the electronic networks that power most of our information services, and the intelligence and electronic products themselves. Cloud and server symbols and dotted lines show information flow. Right now, we use the cloud to store information, transmit it to the right destination, and convert it from one form into another. Information moves into, around, and back out of the cloud to various devices. The GPII will take the same cloud idea and use it to support accessibility. Users will start with a wizard that helps them choose how they want their personalized interface to look and work. Person at compute making selections. And store that profile in the cloud so that it's available from then on. Profile information flows into the cloud. Accessibility developers will create tools for the toolbox that address those needs. Accessibility software flows into the cloud. The GPII will store information about devices, their uses and features. Device information flows into the cloud. Then, when a user needs an accessibility feature, the GPII will take the right user profile and features, check the device, and guide the device in using its own features to meet the user's needs. Accessibility information flows from the cloud to the phone and screen changes to large print. The GPII will automatically apply the right tool to whatever device the person is using, wherever it is. Hang on, uh, so you know, that, that's, it sounds simple, doesn't it? But there's some huge technical problems there. And if it, it's a big ask, if, it, if it's successful, I think it'd be a real game changer. It's, um, some of the concepts have been rolling around for a long time now, but there's a European project being funded to implement some of the components in that. Um, I'm going to stop there. Um, are there any questions at all? Yeah, I know. Steve, uh, yeah, one question. When you were showing the, oh, sorry. When you were showing the various um, uh, Tools on yeah. Ubuntu, for example. Is there not a uh, is there not a better way to do this, which would be actually to produce a distro for people with blind uh, visibility issues and a distro yeah. for people with motors, well, that rather, is than, rather than trying to put everything into the same package? Yeah. No, no, okay. There's there's a number of issues. What um, most people when we talk about the people with disabilities that they don't necessarily want to use a special Tool. They want to use the same thing that all, all their mates and friends are using. So on the desktop, they want the, you know, to use Ubuntu, uh, or they want their mobile phone. They don't want that clunky. You know, remember those blue three-wheel vehicles that used to go around? <laughs> we used to go rude things at school. Right? But um, so that's one issue. Um, another issue is that these programs have been developed anyway, so they might have, might as well be in there. But there is there is one issue that's been contentious for a long time is that that, that API that I talked about, you need to turn them on, and it can have a speed impact on everything that's going on. So by default, that is off, and that, that has been argued a long time. It's better to have it on because it gets tested more by everybody who tests and develops it. And I don't think the performance is a problem now. Another issue is that um, people need. Um, some people want non-assisted setup, so there are people who want to be able to install and run um, Ubuntu from scratch with no vision, and 
that the, there is, um, I don't know what the state of it is now, it got very close to being possible because it means getting a, 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 you need to get right back to, to the startup stuff and make sure it's all accessible. Um, however, having said that, there is a guy, Tony Seal, who's created Free Idex, which is a distro specifically for people who have visual impairments. Um, so, I mean, it's horses for courses, really, but um, there's a lot to be said for having the stuff in there for anyone to use. Um, Potentially, I mean, it's, it's, um, they could be useful for other things, like that head tracker thing could be, could be useful in some, I can't think of a good example at the moment, but you never know. But that's a good question. Though. What? Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah. So, what do you know about the state of voice control systems in Junior Linux? N not much at all, I'm afraid. Oh, okay. it, it, voice it, it is an issue. Um, the control, I don't know at all. The, the text entry, which is a like simpler problem in some ways. Um, uh, th th there is a number of. There's something with Simon, um, Simon listens. Yeah, I, 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 I mean, as far as I can find, there aren't any. Um, finished tools that are only frameworks and systems. Yeah. I mean, I played with Simon and yeah. uh, CMU Sphinx as well. Yeah. And Mellon gone through the mess of importing voice commands. Yeah, so it's, it's very important. You actually yeah. just hit it, use yeah. it. It's been a, a known weakness for ages. And the trouble with Simon listens is to get the actual speak recognition bit, you have to, it's licensed in such a cruddy way that they can't redistribute it. So you as a user have to go to the website, download it, install it as a separate yeah. component, which is a real pain. Yeah, so no, I can't give any good news. <laughs> So it's one of the um, Do we have any eye tracking based software? Because obviously, the money that would dash it. Yes. Yeah, yeah, I haven't put one on here. Um, I think there's a version of Dash. I was going to have a quick look at that. I, I don't know. Um, it, it's a hard problem, um, harder than the, the head tracking one. Um, I'll find out for you because I, 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 I was wondering that. I've, um, the commercial systems, if you look at them, um, for people with disabilities, there's something called MyTobi, which is a big one. And that was initially developed for marketing. So looking at where people, when, when they see a website, where do they look, you track their eyes and work out where the hotspots are. And that, has an, and that then, they thought, oh, this would be useful for people with physical disabilities who can't use a mouse or keyboard. Um, but the prices are something like 14K for this PC, basically, with a, um, which is effectively like a Kinect on the bottom of it, but infrared. But, but there is um, the open... Um, Open CV. There's a, there's a library, there's a really good open source project which um, the Viacam is based on, which is all the um, visual image manipulation and tracking. Um, and the, the, there are various projects if you look around that they've done things like um, they, you can recognise um, icons that they've put up. So people can control the computer by holding a, a yellow circle or a red square and they, as a gesture, if you like. I was going to say, as a follow-up point to your point, I've, I saw a project by, uh, uh, I don't know if it was a year or two ago, by Graffiti Research Laboratories, using OpenCV called iWriter. They wrote it specifically for a friend of theirs who had locked-in syndrome, and they right. built a whole apparatus as a, a, an infrared-adapted yes. webcam. Was that the glasses one? Yeah. For, for the um, um, graffiti artist? Yeah. I, I pr uh, as far as I know, it used OpenCV, so it could be pretty easily adapted to use an on-screen keyboard. Yeah. That was a really good project, wasn't it? And I say, a lot of projects, a lot of good accessibility solutions work like that. They, they're something for someone specific with specific issues, but then they become more generally useful. I was also wondering, um, Acerizer, the way it was able yeah. to look inside running apps and yeah. get access to all that, 
What is that uh, underneath that we get? Yeah, that is the accessibility API, which is exposing that information. That, now, what, what has happened is all of the inbuilt controls, like buttons and, and menus, um, um, and the tree objects in GTK, um, they, they expose that they've been written so that they, they expose that information through that API. Um, and, and this is one of the issues, if you created your own ones, it doesn't work. If you want to play around a bit, um, look for uh, Pi ATSBI, which is a, a Python library, which makes it really easy to use. So it's PY ATSBI. And also have a look at Dogtail and the LDDP, because I think they're both Python and they both use that. But there are various mechanisms into it, like GOP uses a really antique way, C-based, which is one of the problems with it, it's now depreciated. Okay, any more questions? Thank you very much. So if you've got any questions or you're interested in, in any aspects, so you please ask them. Okay, thank you. You have been listening to Hacker Public Radio at hackerpublicradio.org. We are a community podcast network that releases shows every weekday, Monday through Friday. Today's show, like all our shows, was contributed by a HBR listener like yourself. If you ever considered recording a podcast, then visit our website to find out how easy it really is. Hacker Public Radio was founded by the Digital Dog Pound and the Infonomicon Computer Club. HBR is funded by the Binary Revolution at binrev.com. All binrev projects are proudly sponsored by Lunar Pages. From shared hosting to custom private clouds, go to lunarpages.com for all your hosting needs. Unless otherwise stated, today's show is released under a Creative Commons, Attribution, Share Alike, 3.0 license.